Well, I have 15 minutes, which if you ask my wife, she's going to tell you that it's not even close enough for how much I usually talk. So I'm going to cheat a little bit, and before I start a countdown that I have here, so I don't pass off my 15 minutes, um, I just want to say thanks to, to Pastor Blake, because um, just now I'm sitting down there and I realize that even though he's been so generous to me in the past, that he has allowed me to preach in this church many times over the years, and um, I see this church as my home, because this is where I met Jesus Christ many years ago now, but tonight is the first time I'm preaching here as a BWO pastor. So I feel super blessed, thankful, and humble for the opportunity that Pastor Blake has given me, and now my 15 minutes. <laughs> if you have your Bibles ready, um, let's go to first chapter of Matthew. And I wanted to slingshot, if I may, from, from pastor service on Sunday. And I normally use my son's tablet, so uh, usually it works, so let's hope for the best tonight. And uh, basically, uh, we were on Sunday, Pastor, I believe it was Sunday, Pastor was talking about this prophecy in the book of Micah. Uh, and don't look it up for time, we will have it on the, on the screen. It's Micah chapter 5 for your notes, verse 2. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version, says, But you, O Bethlehem of Freda, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And uh, this is very, very, very important. And a prophecy that, as, as we saw before, uh, needed to be fulfilled by Jesus. It did. Bethlehem is a little city. If uh, you look it up on TripAdvisor, it's probably going to tell you not to even go there. It's super small, not really a tourist attraction. And in those days, it was very similar, a super little town. Um, when you read the Christmas story, everything seems so pretty, right? We were talking about the, the scene on the, on the manger and the animals and, uh, and the shepherds and the angels and the star. And everything seems idyllic to us now. It seems like a postcard moment in a beautiful, faraway, exotic land thousands of years ago. But to the people there that day, that definitely wasn't the case. Um, these three wise men that came bearing gifts had to escape and run away from Herod going crazy on a killing baby spree. The angels right after warned Joseph to take his wife and little Jesus to Egypt so he will be saved. And... Uh, I don't know, maybe I have, maybe you haven't, but I'm pretty sure that the men on those days, as, as Pastor hinted also, did ask some questions to Joseph. 
okay, so this is your kid, but your wife is a virgin. And maybe for some it didn't add up. And, and Joseph needed to live with that as well. And at some point the history in the Bible, the narrative of what happened, let us know a bit of this, of, of, of Joseph being harassed at some point. But it says, the prophecy of Micah tells us that this ruler of Israel, his origins... We're going to be ancient of old. Basically, the text is telling us that his family tree was going to be ancient and distinguished. That he should be proud of his origins. And in Matthew, and if you will, in the first chapter, that is what the hist where the story of, the, of Christmas really begins. When Matthew is letting us know who were the ancestors of Jesus. It's uh, his bloodline, 14 generations from, from Adam to, to Abraham, and then from there to the exile, and then from the exile to Jesus. And in those days, what was your family was super important. Think of it as a resume for a job today. You are going to put what is best there. You're going to fix stuff and curate and uh, write every little shiny detail on that resume. You want to get that job. So you're not going to write down that day that you storm out of that office yelling because you were upset because your boss was the worst person in the world. Or every time that you were late. Or that boss that was telling you to do your job that you simply didn't do. You're not going to put any of that there. Because you want to be looked as shiny and perfect. Because that is what you're, you're putting the foot up front for you. That's your, your image. That's what is represented you. And when you read that, that verse in Micah, that's what you get. That, that Jesus is coming from this ancestry that is beautiful and bright. In those days, who was your father? Who was your grandfather? Could disqualify you or qualify you for something? And that is exactly the case in Jesus. Because he needed to come from the blood of David. And Matthew, on the first chapter, is clearly letting us know that that is true. But he's not stopping there. He's definitely not stopping there. And this is something very important because if you think about it, the, the idea that the Jew people had at that time of the Messiah, it was like the ultimate superhero of their scriptures. What does the Messiah do? The Messiah saves the world. The Messiah rules forever. As Pastor said, the Messiah is going to come riding a white horse on a shiny armor with a sword of fire from this ancestor of the most beloved king of all the people of Israel, and he didn't. He definitely didn't. It is key for Matthew to let us know about David. But as we're going to see tonight, He's telling us so much more. 
so, so much more. And there are parts on that ancestry, on that family tree, on that resume of, of Jesus, if you will, that I'm pretty sure that neither you or I would have written down on a resume today. Let's start with verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 5 of Matthew, it says, And Salmon, this is basically who is father of who, all the way to Jesus. And at some point in the middle there, it says, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. If you go to Lucas and you read the genealogy of Christ there, there's going to be only men. And that was the custom. Only the fact that Matthew's including women here, because that basically said that Salmon was the father of a guy named Boaz, and that the mom of Boaz was Rahab. That is what it means, Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. So why include a woman? There is no need for it. It's not a custom. And again, if you read the, if you read the, the genealogy of Christ in Lucas, there are only men. Rahab was a prostitute. Was a prostitute that lived in the town of Jericho that was about to be demolished by the tribe of Israel and by the judgment of God was of a nationality that was hostile to Israelites and to God and was an enemy of the people of Israel. But at the very last moment before the troop of Israel storm into the city, be, before just when the, the troops of Israel were chanting to the Holy Ghost, to God himself, and the walls of that city fell down, she took care of several Israelites. And accepted God into her life. And she was no Jew. She was a, what, what was the name? You said it, um, a Gentile. And in that time, the difference was awful. And then if we move forward, I think it's back more or less. Yeah. In, in verse 3, there is Tamar. It says, Judah, the father of Perez, and Serah by Tamar. Tamar was the mom of those two kids, and the father was Judah. Have you read the story of Tamar? Anyone? Tamar was the, was the, the, the wife of one of Judah's brother. And when he died, Judah needed to marry her. But he didn't. And she disguised herself as a prostitute to have a baby with Judah. So the lineage of her family didn't perish with, with the death of her husband. And now we know that also the one of Jesus. And if you keep reading this, this incredible genealogy, I was thinking, well, this is... Something that you will expect from a soap opera, from a novela, from Telemundo. <laughs> I know you know. But no, this is the bloodline of Jesus. Why? Ask yourselves. There is no need for this. 
But Jesus is telling us, no more degrading women first. These women, they have a place in the bloodline of Jesus, in the family of Jesus. But also no more, you need to be this perfect human being, this family, this outstanding citizen from this particular country, from this particular bloodline, so that your skin is of this color and your bank account looks like this and your house looks like that. No! Jesus in his resume is letting us know that we are all included. That everybody has a place in the family of Jesus Christ. The last verse I want to share with you tonight is Matthew 1.6. He's talking about David. David, the big king of Israel. The most beloved man in ancient Israel. The father of Solomon. And the one the prophecy talks about needs to be, Jesus needs to be from his bloodline. But again, Matthew writes, Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Oh, oh. Wait, what? So David had a kid, King Solomon, with the wife of Uriah, which was, we could call it now, one of his bodyguards. So the king was checking his friend's wife instead of being at war doing his job as a king. And it's right there. That is the bloodline of our Lord and Savior. That is the real beginning of Christmas. Because the day that baby Jesus was born, he's clearly letting us know that we are all his family. That there is no difference between slave and free, between rich and poor, between Costa Rican and Texan. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. From the moment that we are born, we're, our bodies start to die. And our souls are dead if we don't have our Lord and Savior. If I bore you tonight, if my accent threw you off a bit, that happens. If I butcher the English language too much tonight, I just want you to go home with one thing. If we could all start looking from today on forward as Christmas, not only this beautiful day that we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, but also the moment that our real family started. The moment that we all here tonight had a place in the family of our Lord in the heavens and in the family of our Savior on this earth, that he could have come with that shining armor and that white horse and flick his finger and make all this word his believers. But he decided on having a beautiful family of people all messed up like, like all of us, 
that we come from every different place so we can be his foots on the ground and do his bidding for him on this earth. God bless you and thank you. Hallelujah. Bwana Yesu asifiwe. Bwana Yesu asifiwe. That means praise God in Swahili. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. It is scary being second. Amen. You're up there and you're just counting the seconds. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to, I'm not, mm, can, I, can I cheat for a second? I want to say thank you. To my pastors, amen. I love you so much. Thank you for all that you've done to invest in us. This is what an opportunity to be up here, to be back in Texas, amen, to be with this family. This is where we got saved. This is our home. For those who don't know us, everything we know, we learned right here. Learned how to be a father here. Learned how to be a husband here. Learned to be a man of God here, amen. So you're, you're at a good place, amen. Somebody shout amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Turn your Bibles uh, tonight to the book of 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. I'm just going to read a few verses from verse 5 to 11, and we're going to read 15 to 20. Amen. It says, But after Ahab's death, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Joram promptly mustered the army of Israel and marched from Samaria. On the way, he sent this message to the king Jehoshaphat of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you join me in battle against him? And Jehoshaphat replied, why? Of course. You and I are as one. My troops are your troops, and my horses are your horses. Then Jehoshaphat said, what route will we take? We will attack from the wilderness of Edom, Joram replied. The king of Edom and his troops joined them. All three armies traveled along a roundabout route through the wilderness for seven days. But there was no water, someone say no water, for the man or the animals. What shall we do? The king of Israel cried out. The Lord has brought the three of us here to let the king of Moab defeat us. But King Jehoshaphat of Judah asked, is there no prophet of the Lord? Or if there is, we can ask of the Lord what to do through him. One of King Joram's officers replied, Elisha, son of Shephat, is here. He used to be Elijah's personal assistant. Jump to verse 15. Now bring, this is Elisha speaking. He says, now bring me someone who can play the harp. While the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. And he said, this is what the Lord says. This dry valley, this dry valley will be filled with pools of water. You will see neither wind nor rain, says the Lord, but this valley will be filled with water. You will have plenty for yourselves and your cattle and with other animals, but this is only a simple thing. Someone say, say a, a simple thing. For the Lord, for he will make you victorious over the army of Moab. You will conquer the best of their towns, even the fortified ones. You will cut down all the good trees, stop up all the springs, and ruin all the good land, their good land with stones. Verse 20, 
It says, the next day at about the time when the morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly, someone say suddenly, appeared. It was flowing from the direction of Edom, and soon there was water everywhere. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence tonight. We thank you for you're in this place. We thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us and transform us tonight in the name of Jesus. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. I'd like to preach a short message tonight titled, Suddenly and Suddenly. You know, there's something amazing about these suddenly moments, amen? You know, Christmas is just around the corner. It's in three days. Maybe some people have been getting together with family and you're excited. Some people already took off. But, you know, there's, there's some people tonight who are praying for breakthrough. Amen. There's some people who have a sick person at home, a loved one, and they're saying, God, give me breakthrough. How bitter is this Christmas? I'm looking at it. I want to celebrate. But we're in so much pain looking at people who are sick. Amen. Somebody's looking at, at a loved one who is drowned out in alcohol or drowned out in addictions. And, and tonight they're saying, God, I need you to give me breakthrough. Hallelujah. You know, no matter what, and as people are praying, you know, someone is even praying to make rent. Today's the 22nd, the month, the first came, the 15th came, the letter came on the door. Today's the 22nd, and we're trying to figure out how do we eat Christmas, how do we buy gifts if we haven't paid rent. Somebody shout amen. And they're praying for a breakthrough. You know, you know sometimes we wish healing and breakthrough was immediate. We wish that the second we begin to pray that God would do it just like that and we'll say, thank you, Lord. But then sometimes it doesn't happen immediately. And then we go a little bit. We say, it's okay. God will do it gradually. And we've been going now a few months and gradually hasn't happened. Hallelujah. And so for some people, I want you to know, Satan wants you to give up. Satan wants you to lose hope tonight, to give up on faith tonight. But I want you to know tonight that there is, there is a suddenly moment that we haven't accounted for. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody shout amen. amen. Hallelujah. You know, we love seeing the immediate healings, but I want you to know God says this, Isaiah 55 and verse 8. I want you to hear this. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I don't know why God may, may have delayed. I don't know why what's happening is happening tonight. But I want you to know there is a suddenly moment that can happen at any time. And God can give you breakthrough. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, the suddenly moment is God's part to act. Amen. There's our part where we need to do, and I'll share that in a minute, but the suddenly, God shows up in the suddenly in his own way. Hallelujah. So here goes this story, the three armies, and they're going out against the king of Moab, amen, and they're, they're in a similar situation because as they're, as they're going out, they've been going out seven days without water, Amen. And they're going seven days without water to call Elisha. Among other things that were said, Elisha says something amazing. And it blessed me so much. I had to write it out. And he says, listen, uh, God's going to make water. He's going to make water come out in this valley. 
Y'all ready? And then he says something amazing. He says, oh, by the way, you will see no wind. Oh, no, you will see no rain. Ah, y'all not ready. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, there are times that God shows up and he gives no indication. There are no signs that he's about to show up. Hallelujah. So it wasn't, it wasn't the immediate. Hallelujah. It wasn't the gradual, but it's the suddenly moment. Hallelujah. Where God can show up and give you healing in your house. Hallelujah. God can show up and pay your rent this month. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody ought to be excited with me. Hallelujah. I'm believing for my own suddenly, amen. I'm going to start jumping if y'all won't jump. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, there's something I want to just share one thing I've noticed that happens in these suddenly moments, amen. Go to Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Acts 16, 25, it says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And someone say, suddenly. There was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, the Bible says they were, they were not just only inside the jail. They were inside the, they were in the jail of the jail. Hallelujah. They put them way back there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you know what? If you've ever been to jail, I want you to know it's not cool to be out there singing hymns. <laughs> Hallelujah. But they were in there singing hymns. Hallelujah. And the Bible says, watch this, they were in there. They didn't deserve to be in there. But, you know, in prison, you got people, you got killers. You got thieves, you got robbers. The Bible says, somebody ought to catch it. The Bible says they were listening to them. Hallelujah. Sometimes we're so afraid to stand up for God in front of people who don't want nothing to do with God that we're missing out on our suddenly moments. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. I want to read this quickly. Hallelujah. It says, Acts 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Hallelujah. I want you to know one key thing that I've been seeing repeatedly. You know, the Bible says, verse the last story, when they were marching out, when water appeared, the Bible said while they were giving out their morning offering, their morning sacrifices, water started appearing. You know the suddenly moments, y'all with me? Yeah, they're, they're, they're tied to an atmosphere where God can move and receive the glory. Ah, let me share that again. The suddenly moments in our lives are connected to the atmospheres where God gets the glory. Hallelujah. Where God can freely move. Oh, it's not just the moments where we set up for God. God, you're going to show up at church between 9 and 1030 when I leave. uh, Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, somebody shout amen. amen. Somebody shout amen again. But, you know, there, there are moments where we allow God in our lives. We say, God, I want, I want to dedicate my life. I put it in your hands. Hallelujah. We begin to say, God, God, I, I, I want my life to resemble you. Amen. That was a good time to shout amen. 
You know, I want to share a testimony as I come to close, amen. This might, might blow your mind, but I remember, hallelujah, I remember it was 2011. 2011 is the month of March. I'm at church and I get a phone call. I'm at church and I get a phone call. We're doing a practice for a play. And I'm at church. I get this random phone call. They say, hey, we want to interview you. I want to tell you what day it was. I was still in college and it was on a Saturday. Now I tell you, that company hired me, but I worked there for eight years and I've never had to do anything on a Saturday I couldn't do on Monday through Friday. Are y'all with me? But I want you to realize something. I said, the atmosphere where God gets the glory. Catch on to this. The atmosphere. You know, God wants to move and bless you. But sometimes we have plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That whenever God blesses, we say, well, it was because of this. It was because of that. Oh, it was because I talked to such and such and they made the connection. Come on now. Hallelujah. So the day I got a job, the, the day they called me for an interview, I was at church on a Saturday. Y'all ready for this? The day they called me back to give me the offer, I was at church again. Are oh, y'all not ready? Hallelujah. The day they called me for the interview, I was at church. And when they called to give me the offer, I picked up the phone at church. And now I can say that maybe I was sharp or, you know, I wasn't all that. Hallelujah. But I tell you what happened. It, God reminds me, hey, you know what? You were in a place where I got the glory from that. I'm reminding you, you were in a place and an atmosphere where I can move. Hallelujah. You were in a place where only God gets the glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to close with this. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. You know, if there's anything you should write down, etch it in your Bible, hallelujah. Write this down, Isaiah 42, verse 8. It says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Hallelujah. I want you to realize tonight that God will receive the glory. He wants to do something in your life. Maybe you're with me as I close tonight. Maybe you, you're, you're like me and you're saying, you know, I need a suddenly tonight. I can't tell you what's going on in my life. Maybe you're saying, I can't tell you what's going on, but I need a suddenly. If I don't get breakthrough tonight, I'm, I'm in trouble. Hallelujah. I haven't seen the immediate. I haven't seen the gradual. I just need God to show up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to know God is able. God is able. We cannot give God uh, uh, part-time. Come on. We can't give God part-time worship and expect a breakthrough at any time. Oh, y'all not with me tonight. Hallelujah. We can't give him part-time worship. You know, it doesn't just have to be at church. Hallelujah. Wherever we go, the Bible says, you know, the next morning they woke up, they were giving their sacrifices as normal. It was a thing they did for God. They, they went before, gave the sacrifices as normal. Then the water showed up. They weren't looking for the water. Hallelujah. In our lives, let's make it be where we're, we're continuing with God as a daily thing to honor God. Where God receives the glory, you'll be amazed what suddenly moment you see in your life tonight. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads tonight. Praise God.
Father, we thank you for your presence tonight. We thank you for your endless place. We thank you for your moving in our hearts, God. We thank you for how you're transforming us and reminding us, God. Lord, that you're able to move now. Lord, we're, we're in your time, God. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, maybe I want to ask a question. How many in this place, front to back, left to right, maybe you're in this place tonight. And you say, I'm desperate. I'm desperate for God to give me breakthrough. But I'm going to be real tonight. God has not been a priority in my life. How many say, that's me tonight. And you know what? I want to change. I, I, I need change. I need breakthrough in my life. How many would say, remember me in prayer? I want to give Jesus my life, all of it tonight. I want to go all in. I'm all in. I don't want to keep going where half one leg is in and one leg is out. How many say, remember me in prayer? No one is looking around. This is just between you and God. How many say, remember me in prayer? Just slide your hand up. Put it back down. We're going to pray together. The prayer of salvation. How many say, remember me in prayer? God bless you. How many more? How many more real people tonight? Say, remember me in prayer. I want to give my heart. I want to give my all to Jesus. I want God to receive the glory in my life. We're going to do something. Let's just stand and we're going to pray the sinner's prayer together all over this place. Maybe you're connected online and, and you're saying, hey, this is me tonight. We're going to pray together. You can repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my heart. I confess you tonight to be my Lord and my Savior. I believe you're the son of the living God. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. And because of that, I am saved. Lord Jesus, wash my sins. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. Let's give God praise.